Welcome to The Humanist Report. I'm Mike Figueredo. Today's episode is brought to you by Amazon.com. If you bookmark the link in the description box to shop on Amazon, uh, then every time you buy something, you support The Humanist Report podcast. Uh, Today's episode, I will be discussing Ben Carson and Bernie Sanders' response to his Islamophobia. Uh, I will also be talking about Hillary Clinton, and she actually finally took a position on the Keystone XL pipeline. Uh, I will also be getting to some viewer questions in a bonus video, uh, and we'll have a little bit more. So uh, stay tuned. I hope you guys all enjoy the episode. Hillary Clinton has finally taken a stance when it comes to the Keystone XL pipeline. You get two claps because it took you too long, Hillary. But I mean, uh, this is nonetheless a win for the environment because I think that all the presidential candidates need to come out against it. Uh, But anyways, uh, she states, I think it is imperative that we look at the Keystone Pipeline as what I believe it is, a distraction from the important work we have to do to combat climate change, and unfortunately, from my perspective, one that interferes with our ability to move forward. Therefore, I oppose it. I don't think it's in the best interest of what we need to do to combat climate change. Uh, So look, Credit where credit is due, I don't think it should have taken her this long to actually take a position on something that's so important, that's something that's so easy uh, to form a position on. I mean, we're not getting the oil. Uh, It's Canada's business who will be benefiting, and we're going to ship it overseas. And furthermore, it's not going to create no more than 35 uh, long-term jobs. So uh, yeah, this is a no-brainer. So I'm glad that she has finally taken a position on this, but Hillary Clinton, uh, there is just a couple more issues that I think you need to take a stance on, uh, and there's a lot of questions you have yet to answer. Uh, So first and foremost, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. You kind of said it wasn't, you know, a great deal, and then you you really uh, were pushing it hard as Secretary of State. So, I mean, what is your stance uh, are you for or against the, tran- the Trans-Pacific Partnership as it stands? When it comes to abolishing the private prison industry, we all know that Hillary Clinton is taking lots of money from two of the largest uh, private prison corporations. So are you even in favor of breaking up the private prison industry? You want to raise the minimum wage, but you refuse to say how much you'll raise it to. Uh, is it $15? Because as we know, this is the most reasonable wage because in states uh, like New York and Hawaii, uh, $15 is not even a living wage. So if you can't even say that we should start with a $15 minimum wage across the board, uh, I don't know what to say about that. Now, another stance, uh, where do you stand on universal health care? We know that in the 90s, the early 90s, credit where credit is due, you actually supported universal health care. Uh, where do you stand on that now? Now, I also want to know where you stand on allowing transgender men and women to serve openly in the military. Uh, also, what is your stance on recreational marijuana? I mean, are you for it? Are you against it? We know that you would actually uh, uh, not enforce the federal laws when it comes to states uh, such as Oregon, Alaska, Colorado, and whatnot uh, that have already legalized it. But I mean, what? how do you feel? Like, would you push national legislation uh, to legalize marijuana uh, that's recreational nationwide? Um, also, how about mandatory minimums? What's your take on that? Uh, also, do you think we should uh, impose a transaction tax on Wall Street? Or what about cutting defense spending? I mean, these are all policies that uh, Bernie Sanders has taken a stance on. And um, they're all things that he has also proposed that you haven't stated yet. So I'm very happy that you came out 
against the Keystone XL pipeline. This is a step in the right direction. Now, never mind the fact that I don't really believe you when you say that you would oppose it because politicians always do this and uh, you are a very uh, focus group driven candidate. So if public opinion suddenly shifts and uh, we all like the Keystone XL pipeline all of a sudden, then What's to say that you're not going to reverse your uh, stance right now? So that's my take. Uh, I want to know what you guys feel. Uh, comment down below. Donald Trump discussed his views when it comes to global warming, and he had some really outlandish things to say. So go ahead and have a listen, and we'll come back and discuss it. Do you believe that the temperature of the Earth is increasing, and what would you do if you do believe that vis-a-vis -vis global uh, climate change? Well, first of all, I'm not a believer in global warming. I'm not a believer in man-made global warming. It could be warming, and it's going to start to cool at some point. And, you know, in the early, in the 1920s, people talked about global cooling. I don't know if you know that or not. They thought the Earth was cooling. Now it's global warming. And actually, we've had times where the weather wasn't working out, so they change it to extreme weather, and they have all different names, you know, so that it fits the bill. But the problem we have, if you look at, you know, our energy costs and all of the things that we're doing to solve a problem that I don't think in any major fashion exists. I mean, Obama thinks it's the number one problem of the world today, and I think it's very low on the list. So I am not a believer, and I will, unless somebody can prove something to me, I believe there's weather, I believe there's change, and I believe it goes up and it goes down and it goes up again, and it changes depending on years and centuries. But I am not a believer, and we have much bigger problems. All right, so I want to quote some of the things that he said. Uh, he says, We've had times when the weather wasn't working out, so they changed it to a different name, all kinds of names. <laughs> now, he also says, I don't believe in global warming. Uh, and then he goes on to say, less than one minute later, Obama thinks it's the number one problem of the world, but I think it's very low on the list. Uh, now, this is a contradiction because he just said that he doesn't even believe in global warming, but still, uh, it's on his list of global problems. So wouldn't it be completely off your list, not on the bottom of the list, if you don't believe in it? So... I mean, these types of contradictions are very common when it comes to the GOP candidates, especially with respect to global warming. Now, hands down, my favorite part, I'm sure you guys laughed at it, is when he said, I believe there's weather. I believe uh, there's change. I believe it goes up. I believe it goes down. And then it goes back up again. <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, look, he believes in weather. Thank God. You know, I thought he was going to deny weather, too. But how progressive of him, you know, he's he's taking a really strong stance. Uh, he believes in weather. So clearly uh, he is erring on the side of caution and accepting what scientists have to say about weather. Look, <laughs> it, it's Donald Trump, the female Sarah Palin. So I don't uh, I don't feel surprised when I hear these types of things, but I still don't uh, not laugh at them because it's ridiculous. So now look. There is one thing that I want to get to um, that I think is relatively substantive. Now, you hear this all the time about Republicans. They talk about global cooling. Donald Trump did as well. Uh, now, what do they mean? They'll tell you, look at the data. You see that there is global cooling. It's happening all the time. Uh, so here's a chart, for example. Uh, now, when you look at the aggregate trend, well, obviously, it indicates that temperatures are rising. Uh, but you can mislead people very easily by taking just one section of that chart and misleading them. So if you pull out 1998 to 2000, for example, what do you see? You see a uh, sharp drop in temperatures. So it looks like, what do you know, global cooling. But now when you zoom back out and you look at the bigger picture, clearly you'll see that the overall trend 
is that temperatures are getting more and more warm. They are continuing to rise every year. We just had the hottest summer on record. Uh, so yeah, it is a fact that we are experiencing higher temperatures to, you know, section off just one portion of a trend line and try to fit your agenda to say, look, there's global cooling. It's, I don't even have to tell you guys how misleading it is, but this is what all of the Republican candidates do. This is what uh, the so-called scientists that are hired by big oil do. They will say, look at these trends. You see all these uh, global cooling periods, you know, uh, one, uh, what is it, another one, uh, before 1985, from 1984 to 1985. You see another one again uh, from 1993 to 1994. Look at all these global cooling years that we have. But, you know, that's not that's not the whole picture. So, yeah, uh, again, I'm not surprised by it, but uh, I wanted to talk about it because I had to highlight the just absurdity that is Donald Trump. And let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, he believes in weather. <laughs> this is the current leader in the Republican presidential primaries. The leader. I can't say it enough. How crazy is that? So it seems as though hatred of Muslims is a new theme among the 2016 Republican presidential candidates. Uh, so to give you some examples, uh, Donald Trump said that this country has a Muslim problem. Uh, and Ben Carson said this. I would not advocate that we put a Muslim in charge of this nation, I absolutely would not agree with that. So now Bernie Sanders uh, heard what Ben Carson said and he responded by stating, I am very disappointed that Dr. Carson would suggest that a Muslim should not become president of the United States. It took us too long to overcome the prejudice against electing a Catholic or an African-American president. People should be elected to office based on their ideas, not their religion or the color of their skin. I also wanted to share what Keith Ellison had to say. Uh, for those of you who do not know who Keith Ellison is, you should definitely get yourself acquainted with him, especially if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, uh, because he's the first uh, Muslim to be elected to Congress. He's from Minnesota, and he is amazing. I mean, he's part of the Progressive Caucus, and he's someone who could potentially be a presidential candidate someday. So I thought it'd be uh, very beneficial to share his take. Now, he says, for Ben Carson, Donald Trump, or any other Republican politician to suggest that someone of any faith is unfit for office is out of touch with who we are as a people. It's unimaginable that the leading GOP presidential candidates are resorting to fear-mongering to benefit their campaigns, and every American should be disturbed that these national figures are engaging in and tolerating blatant acts of religious bigotry. Uh, now, I don't even have to tell you guys why uh, stating that you would not vote for someone just because they're a Muslim is very offensive uh, because it's not the religion it's the ideas that they have so if someone is uh like keith ellison very progressive he stands up for lgbt rights he stands up for racial and ethnic equality he's for helping out the marginalized and the socioeconomically disadvantaged if this person if you're telling me that you wouldn't vote for him just because uh, he's a muslim well, then there's something really wrong uh, with you. You're an Islamophobic bigot. To say that you would never vote for someone because they're a Muslim, uh, it's just absurd, and it honestly makes me feel really disappointed. Because uh, especially when you look at polls, what is the uh, two largest groups of individuals that we don't want to elect? Uh, they are Muslims and they are atheists. Now, why should that matter? Why should somebody's spiritual beliefs, or lack thereof, dictate you know how they're going to be as the president it just doesn't make sense and it baffles me and the fact that we have these individuals who are leading and who are throwing an entire group of people under the bus american muslims we've always as americans we've always found some type of reason to discriminate against people and treat them like they are less than or 
that they're second-class citizens outright. I mean, before it's, well, you know what? They're gay and that's immoral, so we have to discriminate. Uh, they are, they're not allowed in this country. They're illegal. You know, they're not citizens, so we have to treat them badly. They're Muslims. You know, that's, that's different than me. Or they're atheists. They don't even believe in God. They're horrible people, so we have to treat them badly. Look, here's the deal. Uh, if somebody is different uh, and... Muslims are a very marginalized group in the United States. I mean, you could say what you want uh, from the global context, but here in the political context that we are discussing this in, Muslims are a disenfranchised minority. The bottom line is that, you know, you shouldn't care if someone is a Muslim. What you should look at is their policies. It's not right for Ben Carson to say this. Uh, you can't fearmonger about an entire group of people and you can't generalize because it's just not right. And I'm really glad that Bernie Sanders called him out on this because we at least need one presidential candidate who's going to stand up for equality across the board. So that's all the current issues that I have time to cover, uh, but I do have a bonus video to show you guys. I asked you to tweet me uh, your questions and also send them to me on Facebook and YouTube, uh, and I would answer them on camera. So uh, I had time to answer all the questions, so if you did ask a question, you're going to see it in this video. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I will see you next week. So on Twitter and Facebook, uh, I asked you guys what questions you would like to see me answer on uh, camera, on video, and uh, you guys sent in some questions that I think are really great, so I'll go ahead and answer those now. Uh, so from Jennifer Howell, she says, For you, what are the three most pressing problems the next president should solve, and how did you get interested in politics? Great question. So uh, for me, uh, definitely the very first problem would be uh, money in politics because unless you get money out of politics, you can't really pass any real legislation. So now second would be climate change because it's so important it impacts the human race. Now the reason why, as I said, I stated this behind uh, money in politics is because I don't think that you can really address climate change in a manner that's going to be effective until you actually do get money out of politics. Now, when it comes to the third issue, it is universal health care. I think this is the third most important issue, and the way that I am gauging this is because I think that a lot of lives will be lost if we don't fix our broken health care system. Now, Obamacare did help some people get insurance, but the fact remains that according to a Princeton study, 17,000 people will die every single year because Republican governors won't accept the Medicaid expansion. Those three issues, I think, are the most important. Now, when it gets to, uh, to uh, the question of how I got interested in politics, it's kind of a long answer because um, I was one of those individuals who I never paid attention to politics until uh, 2008 when I took a college course called uh, War, and this was an intense course. It was 15 credits, uh, and you learned about war uh, from a really objective standpoint. You learn about its effect on our troops and how they end up developing uh, PTSD. Uh, you also learn about uh, the effect of war internationally. So, for example, uh, we learned about individual from the Vietnam War who... Uh, this woman lost her sister, uh, and she was not a militant and whatnot, and how it really impacted her life. She was crying on camera. And uh, this class really uh, galvanized me to get interested in politics. It really got me to pay attention. Uh, and then also that year, it was the perfect storm. There was a 20, uh, the 2008, excuse me, election. Um, and at that point in time, it was in spring, uh, we were still seeing Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama face off. Uh, so I really liked what Barack Obama had to say uh, what he talked about really resonated with me. So a combination of these two events really got me interested in politics. Now, uh, when I took that war class, uh, I was at community college, so I later graduated the following year, 
And uh, because of the events in 2008, I decided to major in political science. Once I majored in political science, I just really grew more and more passionate about it. Uh, I finished my bachelor's degree. I decided that I loved it so much. I wanted to get my master's in political science. Uh, still loved it so much that now I'm uh, currently pursuing my PhD in political science. Uh, I just can't get enough. I'm constantly consuming news about politics. And uh, that's really how I got uh, interested in politics. Kind of a long answer. If Bernie gets elected, do you think he will do the same as Barack Obama? Do you think he will have enough power to make all the changes he wants to make? Yes and no. So I think that Bernie will be different from Barack Obama in that he's not going to betray us. He's not going to run as a progressive and then uh, become a centrist corporatist Democrat once he's actually elected. I think Bernie Sanders is going to stay glued to his progressive policy ideas. Now, the problem is that I don't necessarily know that he's going to have enough power to make all the changes he wants to make because as we all know, money in politics is a very corrosive force and uh, these policies that he wants to get through. So example, uh, universal health care. I mean, the private insurance companies are not going to allow Democrats to vote in favor of universal health care. They'll bankroll uh, the next presidential election and uh, really try to get Republicans elected if that's the case. This is what happened with Obamacare, uh, the Affordable Care Act, when Obama wanted to initially pass the public option, but they threatened to bankroll the opponent's campaign. So I think that he's going to have a hell of a time, so I really want him to kind of uh, internalize Lawrence Lessig's campaign and really focus on getting money out of politics first. And then I think he can get to all of his other issues. Uh, from Jose Portillo, uh, how do you think America will look if Trump gets elected 10 years later? That's difficult to say because Trump, uh, compared to the other Republican candidates in the GOP field, he's very unorthodox. He says things that you wouldn't necessarily expect, like he thinks that the rich should be taxed. I don't buy that at all. Uh, he is self-interested, probably in wanting to lower his own taxes and setting it up for himself when he's out of there. So I don't buy the fact that he's going to do that. So uh, if I had to predict what would happen if Trump was president, well, we can look back at all of the other Republican presidents for the answer. Uh, I think we're probably going to get involved in one or two more wars that are unnecessary. Uh, I think that we will have a ballooning deficit. I think unemployment will go up. I think income inequality will be a lot more exacerbated. And I think that nothing will get done about climate change. So in short, we're going to be a lot worse off uh, than we previously were if we do have a Trump president. Because let's face it, he's not intelligent enough to do anything. So basically, we're not electing Trump. We're electing who he picks to advise him, which probably will also have the collective IQ of half a person as well. So I don't think we'd be in good shape, but I don't buy into the scenario that the apocalypse will happen and that the democracy will be destroyed if Trump is elected. I just think we're going to have the same problems as uh, is the case with other Republican presidential candidates, Maybe a little bit worse. All right, so uh, Chris wants to know, gun up to your head, which Republican do you vote for? Oh, this is so tough. I've struggled with this. So uh, if you asked me this three months ago, I would have said uh, Rand Paul, hands down, because I agree with him on most issues compared to the other GOP candidates. Uh, he's against NSA spying. He's against the war on drugs. He's a non-interventionist when it comes to war. So these are all policy proposals that I really like, but he's really tried to take on uh, the more establishment rhetoric. He's tried to pander to religious people. He compared healthcare to slavery. So he's become a lot more loony as he uh, is beginning to run as president. So if I had to pick now, it's a tough call, but I'd probably say uh, John Kasich because I think maybe he's the most moderate of them all. 
He doesn't have a crazy stance on uh, marriage equality. Uh, and I think that probably he's more intelligent than the other candidates. So I'd probably say John Kasich. Sir Gray Mori wants to know, uh, what state am I living in? And do you plan on collaborating with other YouTube report news channels uh, like the ones you mentioned before? Um, so the state I'm in is Oregon. Uh, and I do actually plan on collaborating with other uh progressive news channels. Uh, one that I actually have coming up in the near, near future is uh, Bernie 2016 TV. They reached out to me and they wanted me to be a guest on their podcast. So that will be a live show. I don't know if you will uh, see that before this video, but just know that that's coming up. Um, also, there are a couple of other smaller uh, progressive YouTube channels that I may be collaborating with. Um, but I can't necessarily speak to that because it's not guaranteed, so it could still fall through. Um, another person who I'd love to collaborate with is David Pakman. Uh, he actually reached out to me uh, and just let me know that he watches the show. And really, really, really nice guy. I don't necessarily know how he would collaborate, uh, but I think that's something in the future. Right now, I'm going to mostly focus on just kind of growing the subscriber base and trying to get the word out about Bernie Sanders. So collaborations won't be uh, something that's super important right now. But I think next summer, which is when I am out of school, uh, I'll have more time. And that's when I'm going to really try to get some good collaborations. Chucky Bear wants to know, do you think the Dems will win back the House and Senate? That's a really tough one. Uh, I think that they probably have a pretty good shot at winning back the Senate just because I think that Bernie Sanders, if he does become the Democratic nominee, well, he can really galvanize the public. And I think that this will get more individuals, mostly young voters, uh, minority voters to actually vote. And so based on the higher turnout, I think that that's definitely going to benefit benefit the Democratic Party. Excuse me. Um, and that's always the case. So the more people that turn out, the better the chances are that the Democrats will win. Now, when it comes to the House, that's another question. Uh, I would guess and say no, that they probably won't win back the House. And this isn't necessarily because uh, I don't think that Bernie Sanders could really uh, galvanize people to vote. I think it's because gerrymandering has become such a problem when it comes to uh, House races that it's going to be really difficult to uh, get the Democrats back in control of the House unless we uh, either do something to stop gerrymandering uh, in Republicans' favor, or we redraw district lines. So probably to the Senate, probably not to the House. Uh, ADW Vote Bernie 2016 wants to know, what are your weirdest sexual fetishes? Okay, if you've read my bio on humanistreport.com, you'll know that I'm the most vanilla boring person ever. Uh, so I actually don't have any. I know that seems like a cop-out, but I really don't. Nothing that would qualify as weird or sexual fetish. I'm um, just pretty much the most boring person ever. <laughs> I wish I had some cool answer for this, but I really don't. Uh, and that's the truth. So Dan Cook wants to know, what is your background? How did you become a humanist? And what are your views on the future of humanism and American politics? Great question. So my background is really interesting. I think I'm one of those stereotypical individuals that went into college as a conservative and I came out the other side as a bleeding heart liberal. Now this is because I was indoctrinated into Christianity at a very, very young age. And uh, when I was like a young teenager, maybe 13, 14, even 15, I was a fundamentalist Christian of the Mike Huckabee caliber, just to give you a little bit of a sense of uh, where I was at that time. Long story short, um, I, in college, um, as I began to learn, I began uh, to get interested in politics, as I stated in another question. And uh, I uh, came out of the closet to myself. I realized I was gay. Um, and after that, shortly after, I started to really question Christianity and I became um, 
agnostic and then eventually I became an atheist and because of atheism I realized that my views really line up with humanism. I heard about humanism, uh, secular humanism that is, and I realized this is, this is for me, this is awesome. Um, so that's how I became a humanist. It was kind of, I found myself in college, uh, and it was really, really dumb before, um, but I was young. So I, I mean, you can't fault me too much, right? Um, now what are your views on the future of humanism and American politics? I think that as, uh, millennials begin to, um, get older and older and we take over the Senate, the house, and we become, uh, more entrenched in the world, I think you're going to see humanism rise because secular humanism is the most rational, uh, it's the most rational ideology. Now, look, I don't plan my views around humanism. I don't think, well, there's this issue, and then I see what humanists would say about it. That's not the way that it is. I just think that my views are more in line with humanists because I think humans um, should solve problems based on their own cognitive functions, not on spirituality or religion. So that's why I think you are going to see um, humanism rise in American politics as millennials grow older and take control of the country. Polak Fury wants to know, how would you define identity politics and how large uh, influence does it play in modern politics? To define it, I think that uh, identity politics is how kind of individuals um, derive um, meaning and how um, they're shaped, which is through their identity. So if you grew up in a conservative background, you're going to be Christian. If you grew up um, and vote Republican, if you're going to be uh, LGBT, you're, you'll probably be more liberal and vote with the Democrats, a voting bloc. So terrible definition. Uh, but in essence... Identity politics is about um, basically how groups of people vote. Now, if you look at the current state of polarization in the U.S., you'll see that a lot of individuals are either on the Democratic side or the Republican side. And even though um, they may agree with some Democratic policy proposals and vice versa, well, they'll be more likely to side with their own party just based on that partisan cue and because they identify with the Republican Party because they represent them the most. A poll showed that individuals uh, who were asked about Obama's policy um, but were told that it came from Trump agreed with it. But when they were asked about Obama's policies and they thought it came from Obama, they disagreed with it, even if it came from Trump. So you'll see that uh, identity politics has become very important and it's going to become even more important if we continue to become more polarized as a country. Mark Snyder wants to know, here's a question. Has science discovered a profitable way to stop greenhouse emissions and reverse climate change? And has that discovery been already approved by the EPA? Check out Higher Mixed Alcohol and see for yourself. I can't necessarily speak to whether or not uh, science has discovered a profitable way to stop greenhouse gas emissions. I have heard of some solutions. Higher Mixed Alcohol is one of them. Um, there's also other solutions where uh, scientists can like manufacture clouds and kind of block out the sun. There's a ton of solutions. The problem is that uh, the government still subsidizes big oil and the, the companies that are more inclined to contribute more CO2 emissions into the atmosphere. So I think that if we subsidize green technology, you'll see not only an economic boom because it's it's the wave of the future. Uh, you'll see that we could potentially ameliorate some of the effects of climate change. Uh, QED wants to know, what are your thoughts on Lawrence Lessig entering the race for the Democratic nomination? Do you think he will take votes from Bernie and give Hillary a chance again? Do you think you would vote for him? Uh, why are his stances reasonable and unreasonable? I kind of addressed this in video, but um, I'll give the short answer here. Um, I think that it's good that he's entering the race because I want him to force the other Democratic candidates to take a real stance on money and politics. Uh, but when it comes to whether or not he's going to take votes from Bernie or Hillary... Yes, he will take votes, but I don't think enough to actually be detrimental to Bernie Sanders' campaign, which is why I don't necessarily mind him entering the race. Um, 
I would vote for him if Bernie Sanders wasn't in the race. He'd be my number one candidate, but he's currently number two. And I think that his stances are reasonable because you're not going to get anything done unless you get money out of politics. But they're unreasonable because he's only going for a bill as opposed to a constitutional amendment. Now, as I stated in the video where I discussed Lawrence Lustig, if you think that the Supreme Court or any of the Supreme Court um, conservative justices will step down before this legislation to get money out of politics is struck down, you're horribly mistaken. So if he was uh, proposing a constitutional amendment, I would be way more on his side. Um, but I'd still support Bernie Sanders overall because I think that the referendum candidate thing is just too unorthodox. Uh, when it comes to the Fifth Lord's silence, do you know what the presidential candidate's view on civil asset forfeiture laws are? I don't know what their views are, but I would think that Bernie Sanders, uh, Rand Paul, um, as well as Lawrence Lusig would all be against civil forfeit, um, civil forfeit, civil asset forfeiture. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, um, but yeah, I think that they would all be against it, but they haven't specifically stated their opinion on it. Um, I would hope that they take a strong stance on this because it's absolute lunacy that police officers can just see stuff from you and that's it. Even if you're not guilty, they could just take anything from you, money, your car, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's inherently tyrannical. And I really hope that this does become a central issue in the 2016 campaign. Um, another one I actually missed from Jennifer Howell. Who's your favorite political figure slash activist in history? And are there any lessons from him, her, we could apply today? Yeah, I actually have two. So uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Harvey Milk. Martin Luther King Jr. because I really think that his tactics of how to um, change minds were very effective. And Harvey Milk because I think that um, he kind of showed to me that no matter what the political climate is, if you're right, you need to run away um, with your belief. It doesn't matter what society thinks. You need to try to change minds. So the fact that he tried to change gay rights at a time when everybody hated gay people, I think that that was really inspiring to me. And it's really shaped my view. So I can speak out about things like the Iraq War or... Um, about uh, flag worship in the U.S., even though that's relatively controversial. I derive my views based on what I think is objectively true, not on what I think is uh, convenient because society will accept or not accept my position. Uh, that's all the questions that I have. So thanks for asking the questions. It was fun. We'll do this again sometime.